0: Well, hello, everybody. How we doing? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm a little amped up right now. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you. I'm just saying. My goodness gracious, I I feel ramped up. I'm just saying, I'm like, I'm like on it. So that that just really got me going. If you are uh, online right now, I hope you just had a wonderful time at home uh, with Jesus and with us. But man, you're missing out if you're able to be here I mean that was just a powerful moment, uh, and if you're over at Montrose, it is so good to see you guys too from this side of the screen. I uh, can't wait to be with you guys again, but boy, oh boy, man, I'm just, I'm yep, feeling all ramped. Uh, it's good, it's good. But hey, before we uh, dive into our conversation for the night, I want to spend a moment uh, praying for a few things. There's a lot going on uh, in our world right now, and uh, even here at Grace and. So a couple things I want to be praying for. Uh, One, we actually had a team leave this weekend to go down to Mazatlan. Some men are going down to serve a bunch of families and some of our partners down there. And so very excited for what they're able to do and and even excited for what God's going to do in their life. We got another team of young adults headed down to Guatemala midweek. And so they're going to be working in a new partnership village that we've been building over the last uh, year or so. And so excited about that work. And then uh, in general, uh, we need to be praying, um, I I hope you're praying, Uh, we need to be praying for um, people in Turkey uh, as they've just experienced the aftermath of this terrible earthquake and uh, really uh, making sure that we're just beseeching God to show up in some pretty unique ways through people and through circumstances to help them get through uh, all of that. So um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, would would you join me in prayer before we get rolling here? God, thank you uh, so much just for the opportunity that we can come to you in prayer. Um, Your word says, your invitation says that when we follow you, we can come to your throne room in boldness. Uh, Just like my daughter can come to me about anything, anytime she knows that I'm her daddy. Lord, we can, you have given us the invitation to come to you boldly. And so we ask that you would be with our team that's in Mexico right now and that you would uh, not only use them in wonderful ways to encourage and to help and to love and to show uh, Jesus in such a tangible way. Um, But Lord, I also pray that you work in the hearts and the minds of the men that we've sent down on that team. And this would be a wonderful catalyst for the different season of their life and uh, and their knowledge of you. And I pray the same for our young adult team. Lord, as they uh, finish up those last details and get ready to go, that this would just be a springboard for them. Uh, As they travel down and do the windy drive down into Chell, uh, I, just, I just am really hoping that that relationship continues to fortify the relationship with the kids and the schools and the leaders of the community continues to build. And then in Turkey, Jesus, when these tragedies strike, um, our heart just breaks for those that um, have been suffering through so much loss and so much hardship. And I pray that uh, there are many that see this as an opportunity uh, to, to not only to pray, but to give and to go and to be a part of spreading hope and rebuilding and helping get through these hard times. Lord, you, um, as we talked about in our song earlier, Lord, you show up in these dark moments. That's where you're able to shine sometimes in the best of ways. And so that's what we pray there for our dear uh, brothers and sisters in Turkey. Be with us uh, this weekend um, as we dig into what you have to say for us. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to be kicking off a new series here this weekend, and this one is all about the church. And so what is it about those guys, uh, and what is it about how we can get connected with the church? And I'll just say from the get-go, there's a lot of us, and there's certainly a lot of people in our culture, that when you mention the word church, it just drums up all kinds of feelings, all kinds of uh, opinions, uh, all kinds of joy, and all kinds of hurt. Right, And so when we talk about that concept, there's a lot kind of boiled up in that one simple word. And what we want to do is kind of take the next three weeks and kind of dive into specifically what does Jesus say about the church? What is Jesus inviting us to be a part of? What does it mean to be a part of his people? What does it mean to be a part of that church? And we bring a framework to that conversation, right because some of us we were cynical on the way in here tonight we were we were already kind of dealing with some of the pain that we've had to experience before and we're still curious as to whether or not it can look anything different and then some of us we bring our ideals to this conversation like it's always perfect it's always great it's always roses it's always wonderful like and how could anybody ever think that the church is anything other than that and we bring some spectrum of framework to this conversation and what I, what I hope is, what I pray for, is that we would just slow down enough and just say, what did Jesus want the church to look like? What is Jesus leading us into? What is, what is Jesus hoping for as we continue to engage and sit and serve and listen and connect and build and reach? Like, what is Jesus looking for? So if we can set aside some of our assumptions And we can set aside even some of our experiences, what if we just ask the question simply, what does Jesus have in mind? What does Jesus have in mind for the church? And can we see ourselves as a part of his plan, as a part of his desires, and as a part of what he is doing with the church and what he means by his people? So today, this weekend, what we're going to kind of dive into is answering a couple of questions. We just kind of want to simply answer, well, what is it? What is the church? Uh, who is the church? Like, who actually makes up what the church is? And who's it for? Like, who is the church supposed to be including? Who's sitting next to you right now? Who's logging on with you? Who, who are there uh, that the, the church is reaching and engaging? And then, why is it worth it? Why is kind of walking through those pathways? Why is being a part of what Jesus is doing with the church? worth it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's let's dive into what is the church, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, some leaders walked right up, uh, and they were engaging with the disciples and engaging with Jesus, and so Jesus, when he pulled the disciples aside, he asked them this question. Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? Imagine Jesus walking up to you, walking up to a small section of you, a small group of you, and just kind of looks you in the eye and says, like, well, well who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter Peter answered, uh, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is affirming that reality, that truth. And then he goes on to say, It is upon this rock, It is upon the fact that I am the anointed one, the sent one, the son of the living God, that I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. What is church? Now, a lot of us, when we talk about the word church, we often think about things like, is it a building, right? Like many of us on our way into today, we were like we're gonna to drive to the church. We're gonna to go to church, right? Is that a wrong thing? Is it a bad thing? Not necessarily, but is that all that Jesus meant is that we built a structure, we call it a church, and that's what Jesus is building. Some of us, when we think about church, we think about it as a gathering of people. Is it just where the people gather together? Is that church? The word itself, like the root of the word that Jesus used at that moment in the Aramaic, in the Greek, actually means the called out ones, the ones that have come to Christ, that have come to God, his people. Or I kind of put it together like this. It's the people who have decided to be defined and directed by Christ. Who is the church? What is the church? It's this, right? It's folks that have decided that I want to be defined by And I want to be directed by Jesus. They run after Jesus, they participate in his mission, they engage in what he's called them to do, and then they build into each other as they do it. Those people, those guys, when they're coming together to do that thing, that is the church that Jesus is talking about. When someone gives their life to Christ, it begins to transcend any geographical, cultural, or denominational boundaries, it pulls us together in the same faith and mission of Jesus, and that is the picture of of the church. Now, I felt like I wanted to kind of point this out for a second because a lot of us, we think about the church as an organization. We think about the church as a way that, like, well, just organized religion. And I wanted to quickly point out that the church is living and organized. That by the nature of the fact that it's relational, if it's the people coming together to live out the definition and the direction of Jesus, when they come together, it's going to be organic, there's going to be ebbs and flows, and there's also going to be organization. If I wanted to go out and drive down the Skyway or to Swenson's for a burger and some sides in a California, if I wanted to go take that trip, I can just hop in, and as long as I got my wallet and keys, I'm good. But the moment I invite one other person, what time are we going? Whose car are we jumping into? Like, it suddenly takes organization whenever there's relationship to it. So when people come together, we also have to organize everyone. This is how family works, right? Hey, let's get together for Sunday lunch. Hey, let's get together. I'll bring the salad. You make the pork chops. Right Like we organize those things, and sometimes, even though we schedule, we'll come over around two o'clock we 'll get organized a little bit, sometimes it then turns into something that 's living because I don 't know if you 've ever had that experience before, but like you're together at the gathering that was organized that was supposed to be at this time, and suddenly you find yourself five, six, seven hours later, and you 're still just hanging out you 're still just enjoying each other you didn 't plan it that way because it 's also living. It's not just the scheduled meetings. It's not just exactly how we organize it. It's also how does the life of the church continue to expand and ebb and flow like a family. So as we kind of have that kind of thing in mind, the people that are directed and defined by Jesus, that are together both living and organized, here's a very important nuance that I want to point out that Jesus said. He said, I will build my church. I will build my church my church, the true church is what Jesus is building. The true church is what Jesus is building. The fact that he is the son of the living God, the fact that he is the Messiah, the fact that we are now able to engage and connect with God, our Father, that we are connected with God through his spirit, that Jesus leads us into this relationship, the fact that that is what brings us together, unites us together, and it's on that foundation that he is now building this church, that is what he's doing. And it's for you, and it's for me, and it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for you, you, because Jesus is inviting us to live in that foundation. But here's what that means. If Jesus is building his church, if the real church, if what it means to be a part of his people is what Jesus is doing, then here's what that means. Anything he's not building, it's not the church. Anything he's not building, it's not the church. And that's important because there's a lot of stuff that goes on under the name of a church that we're like, well, if that's what the church is, not want anything to do with it, Jesus might give you the same answer. I'm not building that. The abuses that some people experience under the false name of the word church, that's not what Jesus is building. The political overreach to say that the whole point of what I'm doing is to suddenly make us politically this or politically that, regardless of the direction it's coming from, that's not what Jesus is building. When we look at crazy things of history, we see the conquest with the cross out front. That's not, that's not what Jesus is building. When people have oppressed other people historically or even today and it's somehow Christian or it's the church, that's not, that's not what Jesus is building. That's not the church. We can put the name out front all we want. It's not the church. One of my favorite TV shows, there's a line, some of you are gonna recognize this. I declare bankruptcy just because you say the word Doesn't mean it's a thing. I'm not suddenly, my wife and I, we're not suddenly financially bankrupt because I said the words. Just because I say the words doesn't make it a thing. Just because we say, well, this is the church and this is the work of the church doesn't mean it is. Because if Jesus isn't building it, it's not the church. And so, yes, there are times when people declare something and there are times that people say, well, this is what the church is and this is what the church isn't. But I'm telling you, from the mouth of Jesus himself, if it ain't what he's building, it's not the church. Well, that leads us to our next question, because if Jesus is building it, then that means the real church is going to be perfect, right? Because if he's building it, and Jesus is perfect, and Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is God, then, of course, what he's going to build is going to be perfect. Most of you have been around long enough, and by that I mean even if it's only been a half hour, you know that it's not perfect. So what is that? Well, that leads us to our next question of, well, who's in the church? If it's the called-out ones, right, if it's the people that are defined and directed by Jesus... How do we know the difference between those of us that are defined and directed by Jesus and those of us that are just sitting next to a friend? I don't know how to tell the difference just looking from one person to the next. If you go to the gym and you just decide to stand in the gym and you're not fit and you're not interested in being fit and you're not even sure why anybody would ever value being fit, that doesn't make you fit just because you're standing in the gym. If you go to the church building And you stand in the church and you sit in the church and you're not interested in trying to be a part of the church and you're not even sure you give a rip about anything the church is doing. That doesn't make you a part of the church. So who is in the church? It's those who are defined and directed by Jesus. But again, I'll ask, how do you know who's who? None of you had little... It'd be so handy... But none of you had little placards on your chest or on your forehead or on your sleeve that said, like, "I actually want to be defined and directed by Jesus," and I'm not really sure about all this yet. You guys didn't wear the, that shirt. We should coordinate that. That really would make things so much easier. But I don't know. and you don't know. And some of you feel like maybe you're even faking something, and so you really make it hard for those you don't know. So how do we do that? Because when we look around the ruin and up and down the aisles and we look at the people that we know, when we look at the people that have associated themselves with the church, how do we know who is defined and directed by Christ? Well, here's the thing. If the people who are defined and directed by Christ, they're going to have a sort of unity in that. But other than that, they're going to be completely diversified. Because we're on a journey with Jesus, we're on a pathway with Jesus. He says, Come follow me. We start a lifetime of what it means to look and follow, be defined and directed by Jesus. And so some of us were at the very start, starting line of what it means to follow Jesus. We just took a step. Some of us are crawling. We're like, I got to figure out. I don't know. My life is so heavy, so weighted down right now. I'm doing everything I can to follow Jesus. I feel like I'm going so incrementally slow. Some of us are sprinting, and you make the rest of us nuts. You were just on this pathway with Jesus, and you're going so fast, and we're just like, wow, look at that person fly. That's incredible. Some of us are standing at the starting line, and we're paralyzed because we're nervous about what it's going to mean if I actually decide to start this thing and be defined defined and directed by Jesus. I mean, he wow, what he's got going on, but defined and, and we're stuck at the starting line. We're all over the map. And we look up and down and, we, and we're like, wow, you're not moving as fast as me or you're going a whole lot faster than me or, "Well, you seem a little bit stuck in this juncture or you seem like you're winded or you seem like you have all this energy. And we look around and we're not really sure. The church is gonna be completely varied, unique, eclectic, and we should love it that way. And we should love it that way because we're defined and directed by Jesus, not defined and directed by our progress. Check out something that Jesus said. I love this. He had some leaders kind of quizzing and testing his disciples, and they asked his disciples, Why does Jesus eat with such scum? And when Jesus overheard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. It's not the healthy, but for the sick. When we ask the question, Who is the church for? It's not for those of us that think we have our act together and we feel like we're living a pretty darn good and perfect life. It's for those of us that realize we're a complete mess without him and we desperately need a doctor. You know, I was thinking about this and, and, and I hope you don't think about hospitals this way, but imagine if, someone, imagine if someone said, you know what the problem with hospitals is? You know what the problem with hospitals is? I'll tell you what, I know for sure what hospitals don't work. You know how I know? Because you walk up and down the aisles, you go floor to floor in a hospital and it's full of sick people. All I see in a hospital are sick people, people with problems, people with all kinds of malfunctions. How could you possibly say a place like a hospital is helpful? And that probably sounds relatively foolish to at least most of us. But how many of us have said something like, you know the problem with the church? You know the problem with the church? And I can tell you for sure why the church doesn't work. You know how I know for sure it's full of people that are sick? that have malfunctions, that have addictions, that are hypocrites, that have painted pasts, that are mean, people with all kinds of malfunctions, how could we possibly say that a church is helpful? A church is for the people who desperately need help. I, I, this is not metaphorical, I, Joe Caruso, desperately need help and am hopeless without Christ. I am. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. And at the risk of pointing figures, y'all need Jesus. When we realize the depravity of our own self The sick nature of our spiritual condition without Christ, we realize we need a Messiah. We need the son of the living God. So a church, who's it for? It's going to be for the messed up people. It's going to be for broken people. It's also going to be for redeemed people. The church is going to be for hurting people and it's going to be for healed people. It's going to be for those that seem like they have it all together. And it's also going to be for all of us that realize we're just work in progress people. The church is for people who think they understand and it's for people who don't. It's for people who desperately need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. The person next to you needs Jesus. The person that you know, they definitely need Jesus. They need Jesus. And the person who's like got their life together and you're not sure if you should ever talk about Jesus with them because they think they have their life together, they also need Jesus. And the church is for them. Now when Jesus begins to take a look at that eclectic roster of all the people that are the church, they're defined and directed by Christ regardless of where they're at in the journey. And he begins to look at all the people that are kind of coming around because the church is for all of us, broken or not, broken or redeemed. Church is for all of that. Jesus is for all of them. How do we find ourselves more and more connected then to who Jesus is? How do we find ourselves moving down the pathway together? How do we find ourselves more and more with the son of the living God? And in John 15, Jesus says this, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he, produce, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. He is the vine, right? We are the branches. He is the builder. I'm not asking you to trust the branches for your proof that the church is worth anything. I'm asking you to trust the vine. I'm asking you to trust the gardener. He's the one that's going to take care of the branches. He will take care of what needs pruned. He will take care of what needs trimmed. He will take care of helping certain branches blossom and help certain other ones get a fresh restart. He will work through all that. We don't look around at the branches, a bunch of pile of branches, and say, wow, those branches are amazing. We look at the branches, and the power of the branches is that they're connected with the vine, a branch disconnected from the vine. Apart from that, you can do nothing, So if we're not connected into the vine, we can't bear any fruit. Our life is not going to show what Jesus is promising in the first place. When his purposes, when his mission becomes alive in us, that's when we as a branch begin to reflect the vine. And if you feel like, man, I don't know that Jesus' purposes, Jesus' mission is actually alive in me. I'm not sure it's something that actually shows up in my life and all. Then I would ask humbly, with caution and with care and gentleness, but as an invitation. Are you connected to the vine then? If our life is not drawn into who he is, are we connected to him? John, or Jesus, makes this very, very clear. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. These aren't my words. This is not some weird thing where a pastor is saying, you should be more connected to the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is saying, if you want the life that I have offered, the invitation that I have given, the life and life to the full, then you must remain in me. If you're looking for some help on that, I highly recommend going back to our previous conversations in just the last few weeks. Pastor Jeff just wrapped us up and walking through, what are the first things first? What are the things that we can do, the ways that we can engage to find the meaningful life that Jesus promises? And so if all of that sounds foreign to you at this moment, go back and check that out or go re-engage it to find yourself on a pathway with him. But we must remain in if our life doesn't look like jesus's at all then we need to ask the sobering question am i with him am i in him because salvation life the wholeness of what we're called and created to be is found nowhere else other than the name of Jesus. And so when you're trying to teach about the church and what Jesus wanted, I could go on for hours, but I'll only keep you for two more. But what I want to quickly describe for you is what Jesus came to do so that we can know if our life doesn't look like that, it might be because we're not grafted into him. Because Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to make disciples and to show us then his disciples how to make more disciples. And Jesus came to fulfill the entirety of the law. Since we loved God with everything that we had and then love others the way that we would want to be loved, if we're doing those, if that's what Jesus came to do and our life doesn't look like that, If our life doesn't look like we're trying to establish the kingdom of God, if our life doesn't look like we're trying to seek and save the lost, if our life doesn't look like we're trying to help make disciples and show how wonderful Jesus is so that they can find the life in him too, if we're not actually pursuing this love and this connection and this relationship with God, and that's not pouring out through us so that we're loving and helping and serving others, those that are in need, those that are raising their hands, saying, I just desperately need someone to help me. If our life doesn't look like that, Are we remaining in Him? Because branches produce the fruit of the vine. And if we are going to say, I am directed and defined by Jesus, and yet our life doesn't begin to reflect Him, I'll let that hang. Now, as I was thinking about what are other times that I felt like pursuing something helped me realize what it means to be connected to other people. Many of you have played sports. Many of you have been a part of some kind of good team. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's a, a club. Maybe it was a band. Maybe it was a something. But you've worked with other people, and you worked together on something, and you fought for something I remember the very first time I stepped onto the football field as a freshman in high school. I'd never played before. And I I remember the first time I got hit. And I got rocked. And I remember thinking to myself as I was flying backwards through the air for about five yards going, why did I sign up for this, right? Like, why did I do this? And I remember who hit me. His name was Ivan. And he was teaching me a lesson and lesson learned because 20 whatever years later, I remember Ivan and I remember that hit, right? He was an upperclassman. He wanted to show me how this all worked. By the end of that season, we were brothers. Brothers. Totally different family structures, totally different backgrounds. He obviously had it out for me when I first showed up. We completely clashed literally and by the end of sweating together, working hard together, bleeding together, losing together, winning together, fighting together, getting stronger together, conditioning together, doing all that. By the end of that, those few short months playing football, we're brothers. As we run after the definition and the direction of Jesus together. We have an opportunity to be forged together more closely with other people that are on the same mission as us than anything else in history. I have an illustration to show you that is, I hope, helpful and descriptive, but boy, is it simple. This is like the the illustration of all illustrations. It will blow your mind, but I hope it sticks. And it's simply this. Jesus is here, you're there, I'm here. It's a triangle, okay? So like, in case you missed that. But we are running... Towards Jesus, If we're going to be defined and directed by him, if we're going to be on that path, if we're going to be crawling toward, walking toward, jogging, sprinting toward Jesus, we are running toward him. We are fighting together in that mission to establish the kingdom, to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, to love him and to love others. We are on mission, walking in step with Jesus at whatever speed he can pull us along. If we're walking toward Jesus, then that what that means is you and I can slowly actually become closer and closer and closer together because we're running after the same thing. We're running after the same person. We're running after the same mission. And so one of my best friends today, one of the people that I have poured out more of the darkness and the details of my life to almost anyone else on this planet, he would tell you right now, for like the first six months that I knew Joe Caruso, I couldn't stand that guy. And now we're like, he is like top two or three best friends and brothers in Christ on this planet for me. And he couldn't stand me. I'm not that likable. <laughs> he couldn't stand me. But we started to see something in each other. The way that he was wrestling with his face, the way that he was pursuing Jesus, he saw something similar in me. And over time, we are brothers in the Lord. Because we have both run toward Jesus and by nature of that mission, by nature of what Jesus does in our lives and we become more and more defined and directed by him, suddenly I find myself in one of the most life-giving relationships and friendships that I have on this planet. So I have two questions for you. If you're feeling distant, if you're feeling disconnected, Are we pursuing Jesus? If we feel disconnected from other people that are following Jesus, and it looks like they're following Jesus, are we pursuing Jesus? Because pursuing Jesus and being on mission together is what gifts some of the greatest bonds we can ever experience with other people. And so if we are disconnected from other followers of Jesus, are we pursuing him? And if you're like, if your answer is no, why not? Jesus is the source of everything. And if your answer is yes, I am pursuing Jesus and I still feel disconnected, And my question might be, then why are we holding everybody at arm's length? Why aren't we allowing some of those bonds to happen? Why are you keeping yourself so distant? Because pursuing after Jesus is when God gifts us some of the most amazing bonds of our entire life. And if we're not experiencing that, then there might be something missing inside of us. When I met my wife... Um, For the very first time, I actually knew, I knew, (laughs) she was the one. I can still picture her in her lavender skirt, she had this like blue and lavender sleeveless top on and her highlighted brown hair, like I just, I could picture her smile at that moment at a park in Doyle's town and I literally remember having the thought, this is the woman that I want to marry. Now, I on the other hand was a sweaty mess, I just got done playing softball and she she did not have that thought right away. Um... (laughs) But I knew, I knew that if she would allow it, if God would allow it, I wanted my life to be tied in with her. But here's the weird thing Mandy has a family. Mandy has a family, and I wasn't choosing them, I was choosing her. I was choosing this woman, and these people came along for the ride. And they're weird. We have such totally different interests, totally different backgrounds. I remember, you know, Easter, Easter in my household growing up meant we went to church, we did an Easter egg hunt, and we had ham. That's Easter for us, right? Like that's Easter. The very first Easter I got to celebrate with my wife's family. We went to church, and then we went to a cousin's house and shot guns in the backyard. I didn't know where I was. I'm like, who does this? Well, her family does. That was actually a tradition. We've done that multiple times, multiple years. I, Who? Okay. That's different. I remember the very first time they invited me over when it was my birthday. I show up at the house and half my birthday cake was already eaten. Who does that? It was for my birthday. They were hungry. I remember the first time. No, I just remembered I missed a holiday gathering shortly after that. I just couldn't make it to one of their family gatherings. They voted on me. They passed ballots. Should Mandy date this guy or not? They passed ballots. Who does that? Mandy's family. I remember the first time I went over to her house to pick her up for a very first date. And she, she lived with her parents still, and, and it was one of those deals where was like house, garage, breezeway in between, right? And she's behind the breezeway beckoning me through because her and her parents were out on the deck. And so I start to walk through their breezeway, and I happen to glance over to the door that goes, leads into the kitchen. And through the window, through the door, in the kitchen is her 18-year-old brother standing there with his pants down around his ankles and his tidy whities just waving to me. And I'm like, who am I picking up? Like, who does this, Right? Who welcomes people to their house like that? My wife's family, that's who. Like that's how, man. But Mandy was worth it. That person, who she was, the depth of the relationship that I had with her and what I was starting to discover was possible with her, Whatever came with her was worth it. What if that relationship with Jesus is so worth looking out at that weird family and just saying, I don't know what this is all about, but I know him I want. And you know what? That triangle thing worked out for us as a family because we shared not only a faith, most of our family wants to follow Jesus. We also shared an affinity to build into my wife's life. My, her parents, wonderful. Excellent parents to her. My brother-in-law, <laughs> weird, but an excellent brother. And now I have a wonderful sister-in-law. And those extended family gatherings, they're weird sometimes, but they're fun, and I love those people. And I have forged some of the most meaningful relationships in my life now with these weird people that happened to come along with my wife simply because we were pursuing the same thing of, at a minimum, being a healthy family around this woman. It's not centered around her, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus is inviting us into this family, and when we realize that our connection with the Son of the living God is worth it, and we realize that our connection to the Messiah is so life-giving and so life-changing, and we realize that no matter what, I want to be connected to Him. When we realize that, He invites us into this network of people who also want to be defined and directed by him. And what's amazing is that some of those relationships turn into something like my family. Some of them turn into something like me and my friend. Some of them, we're not really sure why they do what they do, but we see that, boy, they're running after Jesus, and something spiritual happens that we can't fully explain, but that Jesus does. I love how Jesus transforms us from the inside out. I also love how Paul explains it in the book of Galatians. Paul says this, for you are all children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are now fully in Christ. When we are defined and directed by him, we are brought together under him. We are now a new creation. We have a new life. We are no longer bound by our mistakes. We're no longer defined by our past. We're no longer defined by our baggage. We're not even defined by our heritage or our status. We're not defined even by our gender. We are instead defined by being with Christ and everything else comes to him because when, when we can set aside the things that describe us and instead grab a hold of God who can define us, life is different. I'm no longer holding on to all these things that are weighing me down. And instead, I'm grabbing a hold of the one that promises and is the only one that can offer life. Life. And when I am defined and directed by him and I start stepping into the establishment of the kingdom of God. And I'm stepping into helping to seek and to save the lost. And I want to see more and more people discover who Jesus is and make disciples. And I realize the depth and the warmth and the wonder of loving God with everything I have allowing that to push me into loving other people. When that becomes more and more of my life, I see more and more of God defining who I am, and that's the direction I want to run after. And if we can run after that together, the church is more worth it than anything else that we could give our life to. When he is the builder, when we allow him to be the vine, when he is the head of the body, the wonder of his life now pours through us. So I have a question to ask. As we think about who the church is, who it's for, and why would it be worth it? Would we all be willing to open up to the church that Jesus is building would we willing, be willing to step alongside the son of the living God and run after him and be defined by him be directed by him and say that if that's what you're building I want in on that if that's what you're offering to do in me, if that's what you're offering to do through me, if that's what you're offering to do with these other guys that are also trying to follow Jesus, I want in on that. In the coming weeks, we're going to continue to unpack this. (laughs) What does that look like to be a part of the church? What does that look like to step into some of those purposes, some of that mission, What does it look like to step alongside what Jesus is doing and saying, boy, if I run closer and closer to Jesus, what's going to happen with me and the rest of his people? We'll unpack that more and more in these couple of weeks. But before we do that, um, I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want to invite you to pray with me, and I want to start off actually by uh, going over one of the prayers that Jesus prayed when he prayed for the church he prayed for us. So as the band settles in, will you join me in prayer first with these words of Jesus? I'm praying not only for these disciples in front of me, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, like you are in me, Father, and I am in you. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus, thank you for revealing your heart not just for what you want to do, but your heart for us. Lord, your invitation to each and every one of us, regardless if we're sprinting down the journey towards you or whether we're paralyzed at the starting line, your invitation is clear. To give ourselves to you. To acknowledge that you are the son of the living God to acknowledge that when we trust to be defined and directed by you, that the deepest hopes and desires of our lives can only be fulfilled by you, that your faithfulness stands firm regardless if we're on the mountaintop in the wonder of life or whether in the bottom of the pit, scraping by trying to figure out what in the world's going on. You are there God, would you lead us? Would you define us and direct us? And it's your name we pray, Jesus.